0: I'm your host, Karina Gantis, and you're listening to a special edition of Behind the Pen for the NAPOD POMO, National Podcast Post Month. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Karina Gantis, for another episode of Behind the Pen. I'm an award-winning author of 14 books. I'm an award-winning filmmaker, a podcaster, YouTuber, booktuber, I host the Author Assist show on the Artist First Radio Network, and I also run Author Assist, which helps authors with their promotion and marketing, everything from brainstorming an idea right through to marketing the final product. I would like to thank the sponsor for today's episode, which is um, um, Alphanumeric, is a podcast from the award-winning literary journal Non-Binary Review. Each week we read you a single piece of fiction or poetry from the current issue. As short as two minutes or as long as half an hour, but all great listens. If you're looking for some of the best short-form literature to fill your ears during your commute, your workout, or while you're relaxing with a soothing beverage, check out Alpha Numeric, available on your favorite podcast app or get the full version with text on our website. That's www.nonbinaryreview.com. Thank you so much for being the sponsor of this episode, Alphanumeric. Okay, let me get this all done and make sure we have no interruptions. Okay, well, today my guest is uh, Bill McCormick. Welcome to the show, Bill.
1: Thanks for having me, Karina. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. Yeah, been a busy day as usual. Uh, just oh, released yeah. another book. So you know what that's like, how how crazy that is when you do book releases.
1: No, nope, no, nope, I don't know that at all.
0: No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say then. Um, Well, I will. I'll do it. I normally do. Behind the pen is for anyone who holds a pen. You could be an artist, illustrator, editor, author, writer, um, tattooist, they hold a pen. Uh, So anyone who holds a pen. So I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests, and that is, what do you use your pen for, Bill?
1: Uh, Well, uh, besides scratching my head, um, I'm a science fiction writer, and uh, I've had novels published, but uh, I, I, I'm blessed I have this other company publishes them. So I just give them stuff and then it goes away and occasionally I'll see it in stores and go, oh, look, it's out. Um, I don't do any work at all at my end, really. Uh, no, I'm a science fiction writer. I, do, I dabble in some horror. Um, my last horror release uh, was uh, uh, Fast Times at the Apocalypse of Go-Go, uh, which was a remake of the Archie and Veronica and Jughead stories at Riverdale High, uh, which I turned into Well, a terrifying nightmare. Uh, It involved titanium cheese slicers and people having their skin peeled. So that was fun. People really liked it. Um, uh, I actually read a segment of that in a different convention, you know, where one of those things where you have like 10 people on the screen all at the same time. Yeah. You're like, person number one, read your little thing. So you read your little thing. Person number two oh i like flowers and bunnies person number three and they went through and they got to me and i was like well oh, i'm doing this instead because it's supposed to be something uplifting and so instead i read about how to peel the flesh off a cheerleader with using a titanium cheese slicer and mm-hmm.
0: um how did you I certainly, I,
1: it, uh like a five dollar hooker everybody loved it um so it, it you know sometimes it's okay to break the mold a little bit you know? yeah not every, yeah. not everything is puppies and rainbows actually Nothing in my life is puppies and rainbows, So no, no,
0: that's true. Um, I, I'm, I'm the same with my writing. I get it as, as realistic as you can, and it's not all uh, candies and uh, candy floss in romances and what have you. You know, life isn't like that anymore. Um, was it ever like that?
1: Um, no. Let's start
0: the beginning with you, Bill. Um, just uh, Your writing... When did you get the bug? I mean, when you were at school or at university, did you go on to do um, writing at university or was it after you did all your education that you became a a writer or an author? Are you a late Uh, starter? uh,
1: Well, I'm I'm a horrible person as far as you're concerned. Uh, I was writing plays in high school and even had a couple produced. Oh, Um, wow. And then I started writing short stories in college. Then I basically dropped out of college, joined a band, moved to Europe, uh, hung around with groupies, did a lot of cocaine. Like,
0: stop, stop right there. Stop right there. You dropped out and you joined a band. Yeah. Yeah. What genre of music were you playing?
1: Uh, avant-garde and punk.
0: Oh, wow. Did you, did you, I mean, were you writing your own stuff or doing covers?
1: Uh, well, none of the above. I was playing in somebody else's band. Uh, they were writing their own stuff. Mm. Uh, I, I was just playing bass. I had my own band here in Chicago where I wrote my own stuff uh sometimes we got close to catching on to things and not, it never really broke loose for me but i had a lot of fun mm-hmm. i saw i saw like i, I was able to see, i can honestly say i stepped foot on all seven continents and i kept oh, writing wow. during the, kept writing during the time i wrote for uh, magazines i wrote for chicago rocker magazine i did some stuff for um espn sports magazine i, I did a lot of stuff for sports and music mostly um started started getting published really and published in 1986 and um then as the the world was shifting I moved over to doing blogs and at one point I was running a blog called Jay the Joke which had like a hundred thousand unique visitors every day.
0: How did you get all those visitors? What were you doing to get the traffic to the blog?
1: This, This is something I couldn't tell you if I tried. It was um there were five of us that did most of the writing. It was open to anyone to do writing but the five of us kind of dominated it and People started coming by to see what we were doing, talk about what we were doing. And then we got a few stories. I got, I'm friends with some people in the baseball, you know, in the baseball, work for Major League Baseball and work for football. So we started breaking stories two to three weeks before they would happen. And, people, you know, I got I got a really angry letter from some guy, a major newspaper here in Chicago, going, how can you make up lies like that? That's never going to happen. And literally the next day, his newspaper broke it, that what I had just written had happened. And he wrote me back and he's like, fuck it, you're on." You know, t- t- do what you need to do. And um, I'm like, you know, we don't lie here, we're nuts. And I used to release a cookbook every year because it was kind of my gift to the universe. And it, it, you know how they have cookbooks, Is like you have this long story and then a little recipe at the end? Yeah, yeah, well,
0: yeah.
1: I decided to mess with that. So I started asking people like dominatrixes and drag queens <laughs> from RuPaul's Drag and and um, people, people from all over the everything spectrum. And they would give me their stories. And then we would add their recipes. So you would get stuff like, well, I first learned to like latex when I had my thinky spank," and, like, <laughs> and here's my recipe for pumpkin pie. Um, but it became legend. I mean, we, we, the USO actually we used to download that. We released it every year. USO used to download it so troops could get it in the Middle East. Um, oh, wow. Because it, technically it did not meet any of the censorship requirements that the government has. Like, If I tried to do it through legitimate government channels, they would have laughed at me. Yeah, uh, it had yeah too much profanity and well you have yeah. a dominatrix you know and yeah uh, drag queens and stuff N- not normally what you get at your average military base but they lived it yeah we'd get a lot of we'd get a lot of replies to it and people really liked it and but what um,
0: happened? i mean it sounded like you were off to a great start with that what happened to the block
1: Well, uh, quite honestly, it was well, for one thing, we never charged for the book, the cookbook was something people would donate their time for and we would give it away. We did not exploit anything that was not that was a that was a gift that was my Christmas gift to the world. Mm. Um, But um, by 2016, I was putting in I could put in 60 70 hours a week. And I would be the only one doing it. So if I had to take off any time whatsoever, everything fell to a stop and finally I did fall into a stop three, four, five times and I went, I'm done. Yeah, you know, I just can't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, I kept asking ask- left yeah I kept-, you. yeah, I kept asking for people for help and like, oh yeah, we're gonna help you. And you know, once a month they'd send me an article. I'm like, this doesn't help. You know, we need to do seven of these a week, not one every month. That's not how this works. Oh,
0: what happened to the other four people? They just uh, got bored they and like and walked away.
1: No, they like telling their little stories and everything, but they didn't want to put any work into this. And- it is what it is, I mean they had families and stuff like that, it is what
0: it yeah, is. I mean yeah, i mean from from where I started to where I am now, I mean, things change and you mm-hmm. you you try new things and uh yeah that sounds just uh fascinating what that blog and and what you were doing with that and so you've done a lot of um freelance work then before you became yeah. a published uh author
1: yeah i I lost my job in two thousand ten and um I was facing homelessness. I had no income, and I had I've been writing for, I've been writing nonfiction articles for music business and sports and different things like that. But I had all these little fiction stories laying around, all these different things i tried and did in the eighties and nineties. You know, just ideas I had. And I finally started pulling them apart and saying, "I'm going to do something with some of this stuff." I just got to get these demons out of my head. And so I started writing, and I was doing little part time jobs, and I started writing and writing and writing. And then in 2011, um, I had a story called. Um, and the beat goes foot. And uh, it was being published by Bewildering Magazine out of Seattle. And uh, I was really excited. It was my first, I'd finally gotten a job. So I was starting to pay some bills and these guys are gonna pay, you know, pay, publish my story. So that was good. Um, and the story, in the story, it has an Arabic a- antagonist who's a, he's a terrorist. And I was like, you know, no big deal. I wrote it and it's all cool with it. But they were gonna publish it on September 11th, 2011.
0: <laughs> no
1: no one at their end caught it right away like oh this might not be so good me I'm like you guys have guts you're amazing I love it yeah get my name in every paper in the country that's what I wanted but uh, no they somebody at their end realized it and they pushed back the release to November I was gonna say
0: did anyone actually bother bloody reading the story because it didn't sound like it
1: well the thing of it is yeah they'd actually sent me editorial notes to make corrections so I thought they were on top of this, you know, 100% on top of this. Oh my gosh,
0: but, That's just good job that didn't happen. Well,
1: actually, here's a funny thing. Uh, before they published that, I had submitted a story to the uh, chief editor, a guy named Don Webb. And the uh, story was called Vorbliss. And um, it's, I don't know, about 4,000 words long and about 480 of them are variations of an F-bomb. And it mm-hmm. um, turns out that uh, Bewildering Stories is actually pretty conservative almost christian magazine where i'm 480 <laughs> f-bombs is a little pushing it however <laughs> don loved the story in fact he was passing it out he was printing it out and passing it out to his staff like you have to read this this exists in our universe it's proof that god is good is this thing exists but there's no way he could print it he's like print he said he could. yeah he's like you know if he printed that his boss would come downstairs tar, feather him, ride him on a rail yeah, out of yeah, town, yeah. and then light his corpse on fire. <laughs> so he asked if I had anything else. I did. I had in the Beacos Fut, which almost got us in even deeper trouble. Um, but that was that was the very first science fiction story I ever had published, And the Beacos Fut. And it went on to get some awards in DJ Magazine, because it's about a DJ witnessing the apocalypse. And somebody at, at DJ Times went, well, that's kind of cool. No one ever did that before. So I got a big shout out from them. And, that's um, good because
0: cause, because you had the DJ, you could then uh move into that other uh marketplace. And well, that's I, where I'd, they they took I'd, it because of that.
1: Well, I'd worked with bands and music before. I mean, I, I don't want to get go down that whole rabbit hole because we'll be here for an hour. But I, I'd done quite a bit in the music industry before this, and that was kind of how I was paying my bills while I was writing sports blogs and having fun. Um so they knew who I was. And to see something like this come out of me, they were just really excited. They threw me a bone and tried to help me out. And it worked out really well, so. Good.
0: good So let's let's get to, so you're into science fiction now. So you're ready to write your first novel. Where's the idea come from? What inspired you?
1: I did a lot of drugs. I lived in a bus and um, talked to cows.
0: Okay, I've got to know, (laughs) what was your first science fiction book about?
1: It's called The Brittle Riders, and it's about, the, it, it opens up, there's a little prequel, uh, pre, uh, preamble as it were, and it starts with the death of every man, woman, and child on the planet, and then what's left over is the uh, animal animal bipreds, or hybrids that are, are now rule the earth, and, um, and the story isn't about the animal hybrids taking over the earth, you know, it isn't, it, it's, one reviewer said it's, it's kind of like what happens if you, if you all Frankenstein's monster and that's where you go. It's not up to Frankenstein's monster. It starts with Frankenstein's monster. And that's kind of what it is. It's a, It starts with all the, these monsters that man has created who flipped back and killed every man, woman, and child on the planet. And now this is their story. What are they doing? How are they creating a society? How are they creating a world? Um, Science Fantasy Hub, run by Eshane Thomas, voted it to one of the top ten examples of world building ever, which I thought, wow, wow. that covers a lot. That covers How
0: many a lot pages? How many
1: pages uh, is the book? Well, it's it's actually three. It, they busted azov Kemp busted it into three books because they didn't want to kill people, uh, but it all total comes out to about twelve hundred pages.
0: In three books.
1: Yeah, so it's like four hundred pages a book.
0: Wow, that, that's quite a bit, quite a accomplishment for a first novel.
1: Well, it's here's like the funny you, part. You had
0: so much to say. That you well, couldn't stop writing.
1: <laughs> well, that that when I when I put this together, I came up with an outline. You ever hear writers who do? I'm going to write an outline. I'll know exactly what's going on. No, in my book. no, no. We
0: all pants. We do. No,
1: uh, so I tried. I wrote an outline, and I said, you know, if I get lucky and get about twenty thousand words out of it. this, be a nice little novella. I mean, you know, see <laughs> if I can get it published. And I kept writing and writing, and after I crossed a hundred thousand words, I'm like, I don't have any chapters in this. It's literally just one big chapter. <laughs> And so I kind of broke it up and we broke it up into books. So now it's three chapters. Chapter one is book one, chapter two is book two, chapter three is book three. But that's it. There's no breaks in it at all. And um, so some of the people who've read it have like, I've, I've had uh, some family members read it and they're like, I just can't make it through this. It's just too much of a slog. But on the other hand, the people who do make it through it and um, I've had filmmakers and different people. And one guy wrote me point blank. He said, if this thing ever starts to sell, call me. I want want to do this. He goes, there's no way I could pitch it to our company now because it just doesn't have enough of a fan base. But he goes, if it ever catches on on a bigger scale, call me. It's like, it's an amazing story. And it is.
0: Well, he should have bloody done the script, shouldn't he? But you're a playwright. I mean, you should have done the script and then sent the script off if if filmmakers were, uh, you know, noticed the book and and read the book. And you being a script writer, you should have done that.
1: I tried actually. Um, I don't know, like on different things I did, I wrote the script for Splice, hit Hip Technology, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but on this, this is such a labor of love and it was so deeply important to me. I have no idea where to cut scenes because you're going to have to cut stuff to make it fit in the film. Oh, and then my on God, the other,
0: yeah, three books and, in one film.
1: Well, no, you couldn't do three books in one film. You'd have to do, uh, the, when I talked to the guy, he said the best he could see doing it is five films. Um,
0: wow.
1: Just because it. In the book, I can say such and such happened to these people at this place in time. And, you know, I can keep it into a paragraph or so. But if you were going to show that, you'd probably take 10 to 15 minutes of screen time to put it all together so people could see what was going on. And that's a problem, as the guy said. And I, I thought this was a nice compliment. He said, um, You're very terse, you know. And uh, Steve Silver, the uh, Chicago author, said, uh, Bill McCormick passed it in 12 words with other people back in 12 paragraphs. And when you're reading, that's a really good plus because I'm getting to the point. I'm moving you along. You know, I'm yeah. just rolling that. I'm rolling that boat right where they with you, baby.
0: I can't read creative writing books. They bore me. I have to flick the pages to get yeah. to the nitty gritty. I want drama. I want conflict. I want dialogue. I want to stay stuck in that story. I don't want to. Okay, be I mean, I got. A, I
1: it. got in the Brittle Riders, Once you get past the preamble where everybody dies, don't worry. There's a lot of nudity and stuff before that, so it'll keep you entertained. But then, like, by page three of the actual book, we've already got a beheading, and uh, they're, you know, cutting the flesh off a cow in the field with just a knife so they can eat it. So, uh, we kind of get right, dive right into it there. And it sounds,
0: uh, like, it sounds more dystopian horror than it does sci-fi.
1: Well, it's, it's all the above. Um, the sci-fi, the science part of this is very accurate. I I'm, I actually... Uh, I wanted to get the genetics part of it right so mm-hmm. we figured out that uh, we had to have 52 chromosomes as opposed to 46 to make the animals the way I wanted to make them to make a human being with wings that could actually fly wow. um I mean we I spent time with and I didn't know there was such a thing as called theoretical geneticists but there is and uh, I discovered if you take them out to dinner they all drink top shelf booze and eat only the finest steaks on your dime
0: You're sure oh, but how Christ. much research did you get from them
1: Oh, tons! Absolutely tons. <laughs> um, Worth the
0: bill, then, Bill.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a shock to my financial system at the time, but uh, it was a little over a week's paycheck for that dinner. But wow. uh, I got all the information I wanted, and uh, I was pointed at other stuff that were resources I could use, and um, and I did. I used That's them cool. a lot. Um, so,
0: so this book was it self published, or did you actually find an agent or publisher for it?
1: I found a publisher. The company's called Azoth Chem. Um, and we started a beautiful relationship. We do okay. I mean, we're, you know, I'm not selling Harry Potter numbers, but I got a roof over my head and I pay for my mouse and everything, you know, so we're good. Um, it um yeah, Azoth Chem actually uh I've been posting on different websites. Th- you know, I was looking like I was looking for an agent is what I was looking for, and I was trying to find different. Can't be agents. Old. And um they reached out to me and said, Well, what do you have? You know, what is this? because I, I guess I wasn't being really clear what I was trying to shop, which that didn't help either. Uh, I've learned a lot since then, but back then we was like, I've got this, it's exciting. And I was like, a, you know, it's like a puppy on acid. Yeah, uh, yeah, we with our first book. Yeah,
0: right. yeah, of so course.
1: They, they were like, you know, what do you have? And a guy named Alex Flatoff uh, just reached out to me. He's like, what is this? What is this exactly? And I thought about it and I wrote him back and I said, it's what happens after all the people are dead. He wrote me back and said, send it to me. So I sent it to him. And um, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks later, I had a preliminary contract in hand. And the next thing I know, we were wow. off to the races. Yeah.
0: Did you um, do all your own editing? Was it edited before you sent it to him? Did you hire yeah, an I, editor?
1: No, I did all my own editing, but I, I'm actually pretty competent with that, you know. I mean,
0: between oh, well, electronic
1: then. electronic programs and everything else. And then when I sent it in to them. They looked at it and said, we're going to do the following edits. We're going to do more to it. And they did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's been kind of a journey because we released the Biddle Riders in 2016. Excuse me. And um, it got bootlegged by a Russian site uh, two weeks later. And they sold a little over 30,000 copies at $3.99 a crack d- digitally, which had us, on the one hand, we laughed because we were selling it through Amazon as a premier book for $1.99 to try and get people to buy it. And these guys are selling it for three dollars I'm like, I need their marketing plan. Um, need we need to back take to, them
0: to bloody court, you mean?
1: Well, no, because we tried to do that. And we uh, they're in Russia. Remember I said Russia? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and We do not have any extradition treaties in Russia. And when I finally got hold of somebody from the consulate, they got back to me like the next day and said, well, right, here's the thing. Your book is pro-LGBTQIA, pro-interracial uh, dating and marriage, pro-Islamic uh, uh, characters, pro basically everything in that will get you arrested in Russia. So if you ever set foot in Russia, you will be arrested for sedition. And I'm like, "Let me see if I got this right. You stole my book." Yeah. So so made 100,000 dollars off of it, American that we know of, and you're telling me if I try and collect, you're going to put me in jail." And the guy went, "That's right because you violated our laws." And I was like, "You know, erpity, erpity well, surely rocker. hold
0: on. Surely the person who published the book can be arrested because they are violated. Nope.
1: nope, they're they're part of the Russian government. There's nothing happens in Russia that the government doesn't control one way or another. So, so this this, guy, this
0: bootleg pirated book was put on by someone from the Russian government.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we had screenshots and stuff. Holy. Yeah, we had screenshots and stuff. You could see it was going like four thousand sold, five thousand sold, six thousand sold, and so I loved it, stop because, it. No, we couldn't. We, they were they were doing it in America through a company called Daily Motion. And we finally got them to cease and desist but oh, good. Uh, in, in russia it, it went on for a little while and then finally they just stopped because the big money of course was they needed american dollars to make it work nobody gives a damn about a russian ruble
0: so yeah yeah when they when,
1: when we took american dollars off the table for them then they oh good stopped. i'm glad
0: I'm glad you got some some sort of uh, uh yeah some sort of uh ending to that because uh yeah. There's so many pirated books. My books are pirated out everywhere. And I was all that cease and desist. And I just gave up in the end. Because as soon as somewhere closes down, another one opens up. And there's there's just just hundreds and hundreds of places that pirate
1: your book. But I've noticed, like uh, without naming names, I've noticed there's like 40 or 50 companies that get my stuff all the time. And I discovered what they're doing is they're buying it from Amazon and then reselling it to a market that doesn't have it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so the only way you can pirate myself is paying me full price. Fine, go ahead, just have it. If you can find someone to buy my book for $30 a copy, God bless you, may your children grow up healthy, you know. But, um, but whatever. The problem it is, is
0: a, the problem is, it's being downloaded like thousands of times by these readers on or pirated sites, but none of the bloody readers are leaving reviews for us.
1: Well, no, I actually, the, mind
0: so much, you know, I wouldn't mind so much if I got the reviews back.
1: I, on the Russian site, I did get reviews. I thought it was hysterical. Um, this book good. You like book? Book good. I like it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can use all that. You know, Ivan. <laughs> Ivan says book good. Good book <laughs> has naked penis. Good book like naked penis. <laughs> oh man! And here's the funny part. When we released the book, we I, I don't know if you're hip to this guy. He's a Liberian artist. His name is Jiba Molay Anderson. He does these beautiful. He does this beautiful Afrocentric art, and he's he's got his own uh, comic book series called The Four Horsemen. Uh, he's doing stuff with NTFs. I mean, he's a he's a big name in, when it comes to mm. drawing stuff. And he and I have been friends since mm, we don't want to talk about that. We've been friends for a, a minute, mm. and so he gave me a deal to do the cover for the Little Riders. So he did this thing, did this, did this beautiful black succubus. She's bald. She's powerful. She's on her knees. And because in the book she's always topless, he had her arms crossed in front of her chest you yeah. so couldn't see anything. But it's from the side too. It isn't like, ooh, look at me. And, um, but she's got these beautiful wings and her leathery wings and she's standing there and there's this blasted out hellscape of reds and dark browns and everything behind her. It's an Absolutely gorgeous cover. So we got everything straightened down with, with the Russians and we got everything straightened back out with Amazon and made sure they were no longer, we had to have them recode the Kindle and recode everything. So we went through all this nightmare and the book got lost for a while. And when we finally got it all straightened up and back online, Amazon flagged it as porn because the succubus was naked. And I'm like, really? You sell lingerie. I can literally click on women's lingerie and look at nipples and pubic hair.
0: Tell me about it. I have a poetry book called Undressed. And because it's called Undressed, it was classed as erotica.
1: Yeah, so so we bounced around for a while so for a while I was in uh, in the erotic section which if you ran across my book and you were looking for erotica you were going to be seriously sincerely You're disappointed. disappointed yeah and if you were looking for sci-fi and you ended up in erotica there's just something wrong with you yeah. uh, so then <laughs> so then they just des- then they decided to straighten out they looked all right so it's got a black woman on the cover it must be African women's studies so there was Maya Angelou, Bill McCormick no and I happen to have met Miss Angelo back in the 90s. I think she's a wonderful, beautiful human being. <laughs> really a lot of fun to talk to. But she and I have nothing in common when it comes to writing. She wrote, when the caged birds sing. I wrote, when the caged bird rips your arms off, chews on your intestines and watch at your body rot in the sun. It's not right. the same. Not no, the same. it's
0: not the same.
1: So they finally got me out of there and got us into science fiction, dystopian science fiction, hooray. And once we had all that done, they said the cover's too rusqué, you can't use their cover. Now, so I was like, uh, what do I do? You know, Because I've, I've already paid for this cover. I've got all the rights to it. I even, Ghibli even sent me the uh, PSD file. So I have all the layers, everything to work with to, for advertising and everything. And now I can't use any of it. And uh, this lady I know, B.D. Pettis, uh, from the Filipino Islands, uh, she reached out to me when she, when she saw me. Po- I actually posted on Side Punch Roundtable. I was like, I'm going through this nightmare. And she reached out to me and goes, send me a little bit of the book so I know what it is. I'll do a cover for you. And that was that. I ended up having to pay her for the ink she spent. So it was like ten bucks, and it was a beautiful cover. She came out great. I mean, she did a great job. It was with such
0: it. a shame that you couldn't use the original, especially him being famous. You could have, you know, got off on his name, just using his name to get sales. That's yeah, no, a absolutely. Disappointment.
1: So I used Beatty instead, and I have no complaints. The book yeah. finally out. It's got her name on it. Books two and three of the trilogy came out by 2018. Um, then we got a request from a company in England. Uh, they wanted to do an omnibus edition. Oh, so that's all twelve hundred pages all at once. So we had to go back in and re-edit everything because it doesn't didn't really clip. After we pulled it apart and pulled it apart and pulled it apart, now that you know you couldn't just slap it back together and call it a day. There was you had to move some stuff around because and, and, otherwise you have a dedication smack dab in the middle of a <laughs> uh, you know page three hundred three. This is dedicated to what the hell? So. <laughs> So we had to move all the dedications to the front, all the copyright info to the front, but put other stuff. We moved the, uh, because I'm a jerk, we moved the appendix from the back of the book to the front of the book so people can read it right at the beginning. Um, And people seemed to like that. I I thought that was weird. I wasn't sure how that would go, but they really did like that. And um, so we did this, and we did this omnibus edition, and they started ordering it for print, all 1,200 pages of it. And then the pandemic hit, and soon enough, so they had no place to sell it, so they stopped ordering it. And then once they started getting you know the pandemic was coming down and they're getting a, a grip on things they no longer had the supply chain so now there's a there is a an omnibus edition of the brittle riders that's beautifully put together and i mean it's exquisitely it's i mean the the, the editing on this is so tight you could bounce a quarter off a butt. you know i mean it's it's there and um can't buy it anywhere because they can't print it because they can't afford the paper
0: And they're not cutting down trees so they've got no paper and they can't print. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah, so it's really happening. Wow. Well, yeah, I
1: I, I write comic books and my comic book printer, um, they buy pulp from China because it's cheaper, considerably cheaper. And uh, with the boats being stuck in the sea, they're not being allowed into docks because of COVID, he can't get the paper and if he can't get the paper, his price goes up. So my prices have gone up like 20%. I can no longer sell comic books to stores because my, my wholesale price is above what they pay for to buy. I mean, I would lose 75 cents a copy when I'm selling them. And if, when you're selling them three, four, 500 a crack at a time, that's a lot of money to be thrown out the door. So. I've,
0: I've, seen, I've seen memes of people rushing to the bookstore and grabbing books like they did with the toilet paper situation. But that's, that's really happening. People are worried that, the bookstores are gonna be empty because no books, new books are coming out. I mean, mine's just been released. My paperback comes out on the 9th. And as far as I know, it's coming out on the 9th. That's through Ingram Sparks, so well, see. here's we'll the thing. See.
1: Uh, here's what I've learned, especially with, especially the last year or so. I, I've been picked up by several sorts of uh, uh, Waterstones in England, 280 stores have picked me up over there a walmart here in the united states they pick me Mm up um walmart has been buying my books when they can and putting them in stores but they're just making it available print on demand right now because they can't they want to do an order of ten thousand, and when they put that order in they get laughed at they're like Mm -hmm. unless you're jk rowling you know unless it's a guaranteed money maker for somebody printers aren't taking the time they're not they're not shutting down their presses to not make a Dean Koontz book, to not make a JK Rowling book, to not do that. They're not going to print a 10,000 copies of a Bill McCormick book. Cause it's just, well, it's in and out They're idiots. Them. They're
0: idiots. They don't know
1: so, what they're missing. So a friend of mine, she, she's, a, cause we were talking about it. She happened to be in, a, in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky, you know, it's like rural Kentucky and she's walking through the store and there's Bill McCormick waiting for her. So she could see the book. You know, the Brittle Riders laughing at her from the deck. So she's got that. But, um,
0: so what what comes next with you bill what, what's going to happen next and what are you working on
1: well i just uh just released go Three of the Mists*, which is uh the brutal riders set in india and that's going to mm-hmm. be a three-part book as well unintentionally that was supposed to be <laughs> a, a short book but it isn't um i don't splice... think you can
0: write short books anymore can you <laughs> oh,
1: oh no no i wrote splice Hip technology that's um like 280 pages um it uh it's being turned into a motion picture by Watchdog Entertainment. It won um, the uh well
0: done.
1: thanks. It won the uh, 2020 Critters Readers Poll for best science fiction book of 2020. Um,
0: Congratulations. And, and
1: just That's for awesome. for, the, for the for the kids at home their Critters Readers Poll was assembled by the same people who did the nebula awards, but it was meant to be more fan-based as opposed mm-hmm. to you spend a lot of money to join a club based. And uh mm-hmm. so. So I didn't spend the money to join the club, but I still have my book out there and people read it and they really liked it. So, uh, so
0: what, what's happening with the production of the, the film on that? How, where, uh, I know with the COVID they're on a standstill now. Yeah, so, but, uh,
1: I'll put it to you this way. They were looking at a budget around $10 million to make this thing. Uh, right now under COVID with the insurance restrictions for an independent film company, three to 5 million of that would have to go to insurance. Yeah,
0: no one's doing Not, anything
1: now because of no. that, yeah. I mean, and, It's like uh, if you're watching the shows on the CW or the Warner Brothers films or the Marvel films or what have you, those are all being done on sets where they can bring the cast in for two weeks, sequester them for two weeks, do everything they need to do, then move the cast, the crew, and the set and everything wherever the next location is. Well, I mean, you know, I don't have that kind of money. Nobody has that kind of money. It's like the new
0: Marvel Marvel film hasn't even got actors in; it's cartoon because it's the cheapest way to do it now because of the COVID.
1: Oh no! Cartoons, cartoons are far from cheap um you could be looking at uh almost 100 to 200 dollars per animated second to get finish something so and i've seen uh-huh. the number i've seen the numbers go much higher well, back in the 80s i had a thing called beyond gethsemane that uh we were looking at uh having produced and the company that wanted to produce it they actually paid sam jackson samuel jackson to be the voice of the vampire in it and um he got paid and <laughs> but, <laughs> But uh yeah, when they got around to the animation part, and this is like back in the nineties, we were looking at uh just under ninety-five dollars per animated second to get this thing out. And they were looking at a two hour movie. So you're looking at you know, you're looking at a lot of money there, to, you know. I mean to get this that out. this
0: one's got Angelina Jolie in it. So you can just imagine what her budget
1: was. <laughs> oh yeah. I, but Marvel and Disney, they've got that kind of money to toss out there, you know. We don't, I'm an independent guy from Chicago. Mm. Um, You know, I I get, I write stuff, people like it, it gets out there. Uh, people are
0: certainly liking your stuff. It's the first time I've heard of the uh, the success you've had. It's absolutely amazing. And I I wish you all the best with the the next books and everything. Mm. How can uh, people find you, Bill, on social media and where can they find your books that are out at the moment?
1: Well, actually, I make that real easy for people. Uh, you go to BillMcSciFi.com and on the top of every page, it has all my social media links. And below that, it has all my comic books are on one page. All my novels are on another page. All my short stories are on another page. Stuff that one Amazon bestseller is marked with pretty big red letters. You can go, oh, it's an Amazon bestseller. I better have one of those. <laughs> or, if, you know, if you're like me and go, Amazon bestseller, who cares? What else I got? Um, but whatever, <laughs> I got you covered. Um, so
0: what, what's that site again? Say it very slowly.
1: Sir sure, Bill B-I-L-L Fi M-C-S-C-I-F-I dot com. Or as we like to say in go Chicago, go. in a heavy Mexican neighborhood, BillMeSciFi.com.
0: <laughs> oh Bill, I wish I could carry on talking to you the rest of the evening. You're hilarious. You've really, really lightened up my day. It's been amazing meeting you and talking with you. And um absolutely. Um, astounded by the success you've had so far with everything you've done and I really wish you all the best and I hope everything works out for all the new stuff that you've got planned and thank you so much for being a guest on Behind the Pen.
1: Thanks for having me.